Thank you very much for the invitation. Good to be back uh, this week. Hope you've had a good week. We've had quite a busy week. And uh, that, as I said, that, that book, t- uh, that's uh, my best work. I spent a whole year on that. It's the second book I did. I did come for Glasgow first and then they asked me to do a Bible commentary. Some folk have been confused by the title, Chained and Cheerful. They thought it was a book about marriage. But it's not. It's not. It's not a book about marriage. It's a book about the Paul in the jail writing out uh, this wonderful letter. We introduced it last week. Um, we said it was the most personal of Paul's letters. Um, the, uh, there are a hundred occurrences of the first person singular, which indicates, you know, that he's being. He's unburdening his soul to the Philippians because he felt very strongly about them. Uh, he had a great time with them. And uh, also the, the, the theme of joy is part of the letter. There are 14 references to joy or rejoicing. Um, and we tried to get a definition of joy as deep-seated contentment independent of circumstances like you know how the, the sea can be turbulent on the surface but uh, underneath it can be quite calm and that's how the Christian life is that quite often we'll have turbulence on the surface but uh, it's not a temporary a sense of elation or emotion or happiness it's, it's a deep-seated contentment that the Holy Spirit gives those of us who belong to Christ so joy and rejoicing is a theme the gospel is a theme it, it occurs nine times in this short letter and uh, it's good um, last week I introduced Paul to you um, introduced Paul and I've got I've got uh, a few slides um, I attached to it. I was teaching Romans, I was going through Romans, and uh, I had a bit uh, where I spoke about Paul. Rome, of course, was the empire that uh, ruled with an iron grip the whole of the Mediterranean world in the time of the Apostle Paul. And Rome was in control, um, and the F- Philippi was a Roman colony. The letter that we're looking at is part of a library, an inspired and authoritative library. It's got a three, threefold theme, basically. The Old Testament says um, Jesus is coming, and the Gospels and the Acts say Jesus has come. And throughout the whole of the book, uh, from beginning to end of all the books, is a golden thread running. Jesus is coming again. You know these are the three themes, um, and we we'll have a wee look. I hope. Here's Paul. Paulos means a wee man. We looked at his name last week. It was Saul that became Paul. Um, some folks think it was a name change, but it probably wasn't. It was probably just the Roman custom. They had three actually three components generally of names that we know about Saul his name was Saul and we know about his change name Paulos the wee man um, Shaul is a Hebrew name that was his Hebrew name um, and uh, Paulos is a Greek name Paulos the wee man he was a crazy mixed up kid like the rest of us a glorious amalgam of uh, influences in his life 
like all of us so he was, a, he was a crazy mixed up kid partly Roman he had his dad inherited in citizenship from his dad his dad probably got his um, Roman citizenship uh, for supplying tents to the Roman army Professor Bruce thinks and the, the power of Rome and the, the Pax Romana it was something that the peace of the Rome Roman Empire stretched throughout land and sea to let, let you understand how powerful they were when Julius Caesar was a kid you've heard of Julius Caesar it's not the man Julius Caesar the sneezing Caesar and the dandy uh, or the Beano <laughs> there was an actual person called Julius Caesar he was a wee boy he was kidnapped by pirates the Mediterranean was full of pirates and um, the, the Roman Empire cleared the sea of pirates but this wee boy Julius Caesar he was probably maybe 11 or 12 year old or something like that and he said uh, to the pirates when have I to get home they said well we've asked your father for a ransom um, and when the ransom's paid we'll let you go home so he said to them well apparently jokingly several times when I get home I'm going to come back and crucify you lot and uh, they let him go his father paid the ransom he got home first thing he did was get a boat some soldiers go back to the island where he'd been a prisoner and he had a mass crucifixion that illustrates the power of Rome in the time of Paul so tremendous roads over 50,000 miles of roads every Roman soldier was in the pioneer corps as well as the army he had to dig, he had a shovel as well as a sword in his pack um, and they dug and made 50,000 miles of wonderful roads you can find them in, in England you can find them all over the place we went on holiday to Greece one year we've only been once to Greece and I was all excited she said what are you all excited about I said, Via Ignatia you know the Roman road was running right through the middle of Thessalonica to the present time roads and the, to have Roman citizenship was like having an international passport and then there was a great culture uh, I should have looked up Philippi can anybody see Philippi it's up in the north see that bit in the middle up there ok it's in the middle of the, the, the northeast of Greece thank you very much that's very good um, the great culture had been spread by Alexander the Great in the 4th century um, and language especially he got them to settle in places like Philippi ma marry the local girls and set up centres of Greek culture with libraries, universities, uh, baths a uh, stadium, hippodrome, stadium for foot running, hippodrome for horse racing, and so on. Jew, it was a mixture of Roman, Greek, and Jew. He was a Hebrew speaking son, it tells in Philippians, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, probably the Hebrew speaking son of true blue Jewish parents. He wasn't an incomer, he wasn't a proselyte, who'd come in later to these things. He'd be trained in the synagogue, and the synagogue was the educational centre as well as the worship centre for the Jews and every boy was taught a trade because no matter how clever you were, if you were a Jew the chances are you might have to earn your living by the sweat of your brow and the toil of your hands so every, even the cleverest boys were taught a trade and Paul was taught the trade of tent making which tells us he was probably the eldest son because the eldest son usually took on 
the father's occupation. Jesus was a carpenter, Joseph was a carpenter, right? Paul told the eldest child, um, he was sent to Jerusalem because they creamed off the cleverest boys, sent them to Jerusalem to the top rabbis to learn the way of Judaism. He became a Pharisee. He said he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, meaning he was an outstanding Pharisee who was thoroughly acquainted with Genesis to Deuteronomy intimately and everything every rabbi had ever said about it. His brain was like a sponge. And then he was converted to Christ. And that's the wonderful story of his life. When the, the Philippian church was built, I don't mean the building, I mean the people. It covered the whole of society. Right here was a, a demon-possessed peasant girl who was the, two, the, the, the ventriloquist tool, really. She was like a dummy, and she earned money for her owners, um, producing oracles. She was at the bottom of the heap, and then there was uh, the Philippian jailer. He'd be a civil servant. He came to Christ, and read all about it in Acts 16. He came to the Lord. He was probably a veteran soldier put in charge of the jail. But he was a, you know, like a, a, a middle-grade middle civil servant. And then at the top of the heap was Lydia, the seller of purple dye, purple clothing. The Murex purple dye was used on, on garments, and they were very expensive. And she was a top business lady, and it says the Lord opened her heart. A beautiful phrase. I think, I think in cartoons all the time, I think of a flower opening to the sunlight. Her heart was opened by the Lord, and they came to know Christ. I think that's all I have to say on Paul. Aye, okay. That's me finished, uh, Nicola, with, with slides. I just thought I'd show you these few slides, recapping <coughs> what happened. Um, I gave you an outline last week, and we went through it. Um, Hello and thanks. <laughs> Verses 1 to 11. He's following the pattern. He's, so, he's, he's a servant like Timothy. He's a team man. Because there's Paul and Timothy and Silas and Barnabas and uh, Luke and Titus and you know a great many more that I don't need to mention. Paul was a team player. He wasn't a loner. And he addresses all the saints. The saints are always plural in the New Testament. There's no such thing as Saint Paul. He's one of the saints, and so are we if we know Christ. And he, he uses the, the Greek and the Hebrew greetings. Grace is a Greek greeting. Uh, Charis and peace. Uh, shalom is the Hebrew greeting. And he combines them both in his address to the Philippians. And then he, he talks about his prayers and he thanks them for their goodness. And he, that he, it's a wonderful prayer for them that their love multiplied. Multiplied love expanded perception. Verse 9. A heightened discernment and purified character and a righteous personality it's a wonderful passage and then he says he, he, he's the cause of trouble as a, jail, as a jailbird some folk couldn't square up the idea of a Christian preacher being a jailbird but he was um, and some folk 
were, were made bold to preach the gospel because Paul was a, was a prisoner. Um, but uh, he, <clears throat> he was happy, no matter what uh, conclusion they came to about him, he was happy that Christ was being preached. That's the gist of the rest of chapter 1. And he says in verse 21, a beautiful text, he says, For me, uh, the to live, Christ, and the to die, gain, um, which is wonderful. It meant that uh, he was single-minded. Christ, Christ was, was in all his boundaries. If you, if you shoved Paul in any direction, you would find Christ. Christ was his all in all. And he was going to live for Christ and he was going to die for Christ. There was a famous Christian scholar from North Africa called Tertullian. He was a brilliant man, a trained lawyer. And he wrote what we call apologetics, books defending the gospel that I hope to do tomorrow. And here's what he said, which covers very closely this text. He says, watch us how we live. He said to the he used to write to the Gentiles, the pagans, you know. Say, watch us how we live. Watch us how we die. And he said, you know, he would say, My principal said your funerals will get you more members than anything else. Um, so um, watch us how we live, watch us how we die. They died in the arena. It's a historical fact that Nero, the emperor in AD 64-65 um, wanted to expand Rome but he didn't have room in the middle of Rome for his grandiose plans he had a sort of architect's ambition like Adolf Hitler had later on and he needed to clear space so he got guys to start a fire and it burned for days beyond control and many people died and the rumour started up that Caesar had started the fire and it just looked school, you know. This we used to say in Smithycroft, the school motto is it wasn't me. So it wasn't me, it was the Christians that started the fire. They were picked on Suetonius um, Tacitus, who was the son-in-law of Julius Agricola, the governor of Britain. He says uh, Christians were hated for their enormities and I haven't time to go into that. He initiated the first systematic persecution of Christians. He had some wrapped in bandages, soaked in pitch and put up in poles and lit up at night, like floodlighting for his gardens. And Tacitus says it, Nero walked among them in the guise of a charioteer, you know. It wasn't me. It set him on fire. Awful. Others of them, he had them set in the arena for the sport of the, of the crowds, um, torn apart by wild starving beasts in the arena and they were Christians so he says for me to live is Christ to die is gain then in chapter 2 we looked at uh, the outline here says the condescension of Christ the call to humility there's obviously a few problems in the church and he knew about them if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, later on he's going to give them a straight rebuke. And there's a couple there called Iodius and Syntyche, and he really goes for them. Tenderness, compassion, be like-minded. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility consider others better than yourselves. And he says, here's, your, here's the model, here's the lifestyle 
model and this should be your the phrase I use is mindset I like that mindset this is this is how you, your mind should be set on every day living like Christ Jesus and then he quotes a hymn which may be a hymn from the, the early church that he's making use of or else it's maybe a hymn he wrote my theology tutor got a PhD for his thesis on Carmen Christi a hymn to Christ Philippians 2 6 to 11 and uh, we looked at the wonderful theology of that in some detail last week about how Jesus was originally in the very, has God's very nature but he didn't consider equality with God either as a, something to be snatched like a burglar snatches booty or something to be hugged like a reward or a prize that he selfishly clung to for himself but he laid all he laid things aside he emptied himself echinosin uh, there's big arguments and you can read in the book about what this could mean what he could have laid aside we, we looked at it briefly last week and so uh, these downward steps he took um, he, made, he was made in human likeness found in appearance as a man in the scheme of things and he became obedient he humbled himself became obedient to death even death on the cross and we looked at the, the horrors of the cross last week um, but God has exalted him given the highest place one day every knee should bow at the name of Jesus and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess ok well we, we finished there I, hoped, I had hoped to finish chapter 2 last week but we, we finished really at verse 12 I went through the summary with you the criterion of humility 5 to 11 and then phase 2 was the continuance of humility therefore my dear friends whenever, whenever you see therefore ask yourself wherefore the therefore the therefore is always there in the light of something else that's been said earlier and he says in the light of this blinding pattern of humility and self denial that was Christ's here's how you should live continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you wonderful do everything without complaining and it's a, a wonderful word in Greek it's, it's gongusmon gongu, gongusmon it sounds, it sounds like what it means it's what we call onomatopoeic um, the sound gives you the, some clue to the meaning like scubala, later on we'll get scubala, I love scubala um, I don't love scubala, I love the word <laughs> scubala don't grumble you ever find the moaners you know they moan about everything and uh, sometimes you'll sit for an hour and listen to them and then they'll thank you very much for all you had to say to them <laughs> and you've just been on the receiving end of a whole pile of grumbles and complaints that covers everything you know somebody complain they can complain about anything a lady complained about her Janet going to church dressed in black why does your daughter always wear uh, the devil's colours in the... <laughs> she was going through a black face at the time, you know. All her pals at college, university were doing the same. She wasn't a, what do you call it, a goth? Is it a goth? She wasn't a goth. But, I mean, I had to be very blunt, blunt this lady. She went on and on and on about her Janet. We were in Edinburgh at the time. <laughs> and I said, do you have any daughters? Yes, I have two. You know 
I said, well, uh, I don't remember seeing him in church. Have they been in church? Hey, they don't come to church now, you know. I said, well, you know, I said, my daughter comes to church every Sunday morning and evening. And she doesn't even like this church very much. <laughs> I said, but she loves Jesus. And because she loves Jesus and because she's got a loyalty to us as a family, she comes to church. When your two daughters are coming to church twice on a Sunday, you might have some reason to complain about my daughter. Until that, I don't hear another word against her daughter. She said, don't be a grumbler, mumbler, moaner, but become blameless and pure. The children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. And you're going to shine like stars, which is terrific, you know. So that I can boast about you <laughs> on the day of Christ, that I didn't run or labor for nothing. And so I'm glad and rejoice with all of you as glad and rejoice together. And you should be glad and rejoiced with me, you know, uh, which is terrific. The, the continuance of humility, um, copybook humility, is seen in Timothy and Epaphroditus' life. Verse 21 is interesting. He's going to send Timothy soon. For everyone looks out for his own interests. Well, that is very true, generally. Folk look out for their own interests. We all get busy in their own kill yard and we get taken up with our own affairs. Um, like Mary lived in a world bounded in the north, south, east and west with Mary. <laughs> uh, everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's not like that. Timothy has proved himself. Oh, here's a wonderful word. Dokimadzo. It means to approve something after testing. It's a great word. It's used a lot in the New Testament. Uh, Dokimadzo. In the steelworks, we used to make steel for caterpillar tractors when they came to Tanner Side. Remember, the Americans came and Hallside Steelworks made the steel for caterpillar tractors. And the, the steel was made and it was loaded onto the wagons in the sidings. And then we came in, you had to do chemical analysis of the steel and you had to do bend tests, hardness tests, tensile tests, sharpie tests on the steel impact testing. Um, and only when the battery of tests, oh hardness tests as well, when the, when the battery of tests was completed satisfactorily to the American specification, only then could you send the steel out of the works. In other words, the steel was approved after testing, right? So Paul says, here's Timothy. He's proved himself. He's been through the mill. He's been tested and he's come out on top. He's come out triumphant in Christ. So I'm glad I'm sending him to you. He's passed the test. He's got a proved character. Because as a son with his father, he's serving the work of the gospel. And then as a Epaphroditus, he piles up the descriptions. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. It was Epaphroditus that brought the gift 
from the Philippian church to Paul and that's why he wrote the letter it was a thank you letter for gift sent and, and he was ill he longs for you all verse 26 he's distressed because you heard he was ill indeed he was ill and almost died don't know what was wrong with him but God had mercy on him and not on him only but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow therefore I'm keen to send him to you that when you see him you may be glad and here's a great joy welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me so that's chapter 2 wrapped up a wee bit okay, I mean I'm rushing through it but it was good to affirm his friends now I've got a smashing poem in here Philippians 2 11. Uh, the poetic muse clasped me to her perfumed bosom and the right poetry <laughs> it's really doggerel but here's what I wrote when I was preaching in this I was captivated by Romans, uh, Philippians 2 5-11 down but not out oh how can I preach of your glory it's on page 78 by the way oh how can I preach of your glory a glory before time began, a glory of pure incandescence before the creation of man. Oh, how can I preach of your splendour, so majestic and dazzling a king, a visage so noble and sunny, light for our darkness to bring? Oh, how can I preach of your riches, the wealth of your nature and worth, the total resources of Godhead beyond comprehension on earth? Oh, how can I preach of your pity, unselfishly leaving aside your trappings of wonder and worship, self-emptying Saviour and Guide. I'd rather be faulted for failure to fully explain your great love than to languish here, silenced by Satan, unblessed by your smile from above. Do you like that? I think that's, I really enjoyed writing that. <laughs> I thought God's going to bless that point. People are going to. Do it. Here's the other one. This is really good. This is in connection with affirming your friends, right? It's called Tell Him Now. More than fame and more than money is the comment kind and sunny, <laughs> is the hearty, warm approval of a friend. For it gives to life a savour and it makes you stronger, braver, and it gives you heart and spirit to the end. If he wins your praise, bestow it. If you like him, let him know it. Let the words of true encouragement be said. Do not wait till life is over and he's underneath the clover. <laughs> For he cannot read his tombstone where he's de when he's dead. <laughs> if with pleasure you are viewing any work a friend is doing, if you like him or you love him, tell him now. Don't withhold your admiration till the parson reads ovation as he lies with snow-white lilies on his brow. For no matter how you shout it, he'll not really care about it. He'll not know how many teardrops you have shed. So if you think some praise is due him, now's the time to slip it to him. <laughs> Do not wait till there's a tombstone on his head. Affirm your friends. And Paul affirmed his friends in the Lord. And that moves us on to chapter 3. Finally, my brothers. Well, actually, you've still got two chapters to go. He says, Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things. 
it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Well, there's two kind of dogs in the New Testament times. There were the pet dogs, you know, the the, the, the rich people would pamper their pups and their dogs and all that, you know, and stroke them. And these were one kind of dog. The other kind of dog was the pariah dogs, the the filthy scavengers of the streets. And he says, watch out for the dogs. And these were the people, he calls the Jews that. The Jews were practicing circumcision and relying on that to get folk into God's pleasure and presence. It is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus. See, the problem with the dogs, are three things about these dogs. One, they're unpredictable. You never know what a dog's going to do. Um, the second thing about them is unpredictable, indiscriminate. They don't mind who they bite, really. And the third thing is they're dangerous because the dogs of the streets can carry rat rabies and all sorts of things in these uh, overseas countries. Uh, and he says, he says, watch out for these dogs. He's quite strong. We put no confidence in the flesh, although they do. He said, although I myself have reason for such confidence. So in chapter 3, in the outline, he's moved on. And he says, beware. Phase 1, beware. Phase 2, assess and anticipate. Well, he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And it's not like him to be boasting. He says, but I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, I'm not a late incomer. A Johnny come lately Jew. I was born a Jew. Of the people of Israel. The people of God since the time of Abraham. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the pet son of Jacob. You know he had twelve sons. And Benjamin means son of the right hand. Um, and he was the pet son and little Benjamin was uh, the favourite you know, was in many ways the favourite tribe as well as Benjamin being the favourite son so he belongs um, to the people of Israel, to the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews and one of the things was that the Hebrews uh, the, the Jews very often lost their Hebrew when they were scattered you know when the exile took place they went to Egypt a lot of them forgot their Hebrew and that's why it's a wee bit dangerous for me because my Hebrew's gone rusty I haven't been teaching it the best way to learn is to teach and I haven't been teaching it, it's gone rusty and it went rusty and they had to produce a Greek Old Testament based in Alexandria in Egypt for the huge colony of Jews in Egypt they produced the Septuagint which was the Greek Old Testament because the Jews were forgetting their language but Paul wasn't forgetting his Hebrew language he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews um, and he hadn't forgotten his Hebrew because in his arguments he sometimes uses the, the Hebrew Old Testament he sometimes uses the Greek Old Testament he sometimes mingles the two <laughs> where it suits his argument um, 
So he knew, he knew his scriptures inside out and upside down. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were a lunch club. They met for lunch and swapped notes about what they'd been learning. A Pharisee really means separatist. They were a separatist group. And I mean, in the time of Jesus, the Pharisees' teaching was that if they could get the Amha'aretz, the ordinary people, the common people, the people of the land, Amha'aretz means the people of the land, if they could get the Amha'aretz to keep the law for one day, then Messiah would come. So that they were going to be leaders in this. And so they, they produced ramifications to the law. In addition to the Ten Commandments, they produced 603 other commandments that people had to keep. A lot of them about the Sabbath. Um, for example, if a hen lay an egg on the Sabbath, were you allowed to eat it? And the answer was... No, because the, the hen had to work on the Sabbath to produce the egg. So you're not allowed. If you cut yourself on the Sabbath, were you allowed to put ointment in the bandage on the cut? No. You could put bandage on it, but not ointment. Because the ointment would be working to heal the cut. And all sorts of things. In, in fact, the most severe groups, like there were a group at Qumran who lived in a monastic existence. So he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, was Paul. Uh, and he was, as far as zeal was concerned, he was a persecuted, a persecuting agent, persecuting the church. And as far as legalistic righteousness was concerned, he was faultless. You know? He was faultless in legalistic righteousness. And there are, I mean, there are some Christians who are legalistic in their righteousness, you know? Remember a lady once, and she said to my wife, Can I ask you a question, Mrs. Mitchell? And Jean said, Yes. She said, What do you do with the communion bread? after the service and Jean says I take it home and I feed it to the birds you can't do that and Jean said why not she says because that's holy bread she says well it was holy bread in the service but it's, it's ordinary bread we, break, we take the service and ordinary bread we take away from the service so this lady obviously had in mind that a uh, this bread, you couldn't feed it to the birds, you know. Which to us would be an act of mercy, really, I suppose. But to her it was, it was a breaking of the law. He says, and then he goes into a wonderful passage when he talks about um, assess. He was assessing his life, and he's got a profit and loss column, like a an auditor, right, of his life. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them scubala, rubbish, muck, 
excrement is a sort of the kind of meanings of scubala and it even sounds pejorative doesn't it it sounds disgusting scubala you know and uh, maybe that's my silly imagination and it says I count them but scubala muck that I might win Christ you know that's, it's wonderful um, and be found I may gain Christ and be found in him that is at any time if I'm ever surprised um, you know that the person who surprises me finds me in Christ in any situation in Christ you think of some of these Christians in the countries in the Middle East just now and their children being threatened with being beheaded unless they denounce Christ and the children won't give up Christ and stuff like that very, very difficult for them um, to be found in him anytime in Christ not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith which is lovely because Martin Luther's bang on when he says when you become a Christian there's a righteousness transfer that takes place because Christ in all his righteousness died for us on the cross and if we trust in him his righteousness is imputed and imparted to us by the grace of God and that's nothing to do with our achievements or our talents or our abilities it's all to do with Grace, not have I gotten but what I've received. Grace has bestowed it since first I believed. Boasting excluded, pride I abase. I'm only a sinner, saved by grace. And so that's how Paul felt about things. And he put it down here beautifully. And uh, in verse 10 through to verse 11, uh, he's got four longings four longings he has the first one is I want to know Christ he wants to know the person of his Lord that's the first thing he doesn't want to know about Christ it's not a matter of us amassing information about Christ it's a matter of knowing him knowing Christ that's very, very important. That's the first of his great longings. He wants to know the person of his Lord. And then he wants to know the power of his life, his risen life, the power of his resurrection is the second thing. Which is lovely. Because resurrection power energizes Christians for service. And the gospel is a dunamis, it's a power with a view to salvation to everyone that believes Paul says in Romans 1.17 the person of his Lord the power of his life the third thing he wants to know is the passion of his love the fellowship and that means well the word is koinonia koine means common koinonia means common sharing I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I want, I want to be able to, to have common sharing with him in his suffering. To think that all that he, to meditate on all that he went through for me and for other folk. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. And then, um, I want to know 
But I want you to know the person of his Lord, the power of his life, the passion of his love, and the partnership of his loss. Becoming like him in his death. It actually means, the verb means to share the shape. To share the shape of him in his death. And of course I think in cartoons all the time, you know this by now. But I think of a pattern maker. The pattern maker skills dead nowadays. But in the olden days, back in the 60s and the 50s and all that, right back, they used to have a skill in engineering works and foundries called pattern making. We had two of the best pattern makers in Glasgow were in the Lanhill Band, Norman White and Jack Armstrong. And the, the pattern maker would make, they would get a, a, a drawing and they would make a wooden a pattern of what was in the drawing, a solid object, which would replicate what they wanted in the finished product. The finished product would have to have the shape in, in cast iron or lead or steel um, that the pattern maker made. He used to make a pattern and they would embed it in the sand and the sand would take the shape of the pattern. And when you poured the hot metal in, the hot metal uh, adopted the shape of the pattern. Jesus is, I think Paul is saying here, Jesus, he wants Jesus to be the pattern, he wants the, the sufferings of Jesus uh, and, and his death to be the pattern that he falls into. He shares the shape of Christ's sufferings and death. In other words, he becomes intimately identified with them. And because of that, as a consequence of that, he experiences his resurrection too, as well as his death, and he's risen in Christ. I hope that's an explanation that satisfies you. But um, that takes us down to verse 17 um, of chapter 3. It says, uh, assess and anticipate. It says, I've not got there yet. He says, not that I have already obtained all this, or already been made perfect, but I press on, I'm on the way. Yeah, I'm still climbing. Uh, he says, I haven't got there yet, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And that's a lovely juxtaposition of terms. In fact, it's the motto of Spurgeon's College in London, Tenio et Tenior. I hold and I am held. And Paul says, I have been taken hold of by Christ and I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He said, I don't consider yet to have taken hold of it, but, and the English version says, but one thing I do, one thing I do. The, Hebrew, the, the Greek text isn't that. The Greek text is hendi. One thing, there's no verb to be in the text. One thing, it's, it's tersus, it's uh, compressed. One thing, you know, uh, and you can think about that. The Christian serves one master, Hindi. The Christian pursues one activity, Hindi. The Christian prepares for one reward, Hindi. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And it's a sign of your Christian maturity to bring that into your thinking. 
that we're on the way, we're not finished yet. God hasn't finished with us yet. But you know, there's old John Newton. He says, I am not what I should be. I am not what I could be. I am not what I will be. But by the grace of God, I am not what I was. Isn't that a wonderful thing he said? By the grace of God, I am not what I was, but I'm on the way. I'm on the way. Mallory and every 1924 going up to Everest disappeared into the mist, you know. And the report was, when last seen, they were still climbing. You know, they were, they were in Everest. They got lost, but the Christian doesn't get lost. The Christian gets to heaven by the goodness and grace of God. So I press on. Um, and those of you who are mature, build that into your lives. Let us live up to what we have already attained. You know, the, the Christian life, it's not a horizontal plane, it's on a slope. And every day we're either nearer God or slipping back further away from God. And we should be nearer to God every day. Um, he says, if, if, you, if you think differently, he says... That too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. You know, old Oliver Cromwell, he put in a letter once, I, I beseech you in the bowels of Christ, we wouldn't write these things nowadays, I beseech you in the bowels of Christ to consider whether you may be wrong in this matter. <laughs> and he, sometimes we're wrong, but by the grace of God we're not what we were. So there you are, he says, get up, get up there, get up there, get up there. Join with others in following my example, brothers. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. A man is known by his friends, eh? And I've told you before, many live as enemies. And he is very sad about it. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is a shame. And their mind is on earthly things. They're like the man in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. You know, in the house of the interpreter, one of the pictures was a man with a muck rake, muck, raking in the muck. And he's looking for diamonds, jewels. And he doesn't realise that above his head there's an angel with a crown poised, ready to put it on his head. But he never looks up. You know, look up. Look up. Um, when the outlook is grim, try the uplook. The slogan used to be. So there you are. Um, so that's chapter 3, you see. We're getting on to that. And he says, our citizenship, their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now citizenship was very important to the people of Philippi. Because Philippi was a Roman colony. And there was a lot of granted citizenship going about uh, and, and they reckoned anybody living in Philippi was like somebody that had been transplanted from Italy they had special privileges they had special magistrates for example at Philippi that weren't anywhere else um, and he says our citizenship our real citizenship is in heaven so there you are our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform, metamorphose our lowly bodies 
so that they will be like his glorious body. And all your complaints are going to be removed physically. You're going to be like Jesus. And you're going to be transformed into his image. And you're going to be equipped for praise for all eternity. Can he sing? No problem. You get to heaven, you'll be able to sing. (laughs) And we'll sing the praises of the Lamb forever in heaven. Do you believe that? I believe that. It's going to be great to join the heavenly choir in a festival. So I think I'll stop there and we'll some other time come back and do chapter 4. Come on, we'll pray. Lord, once again we pause in your presence to recognise that spiritual things are spiritually discerned and we ask you that your mighty Holy Spirit, who is the true author of Scripture, may be the interpreter of its meaning to each of our hearts and lives and needs. Pray you'll bless folk as they read this book. We pray you'll use the book as you have done in the past to the blessing of many. And we ask you, O oh God, that you'll help us to to realise that we're in your grip and help us to take hold of all the wonderful treasures of your grace which are available to us this week. Help us to live for Jesus this week and to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and somehow to share in his death, that we might also share in his resurrection. So hear our cry, and bless our homes and families, wherever they are, for Jesus' sake. Amen.